going to go to Galatians chapter 4 this morning. Galatians chapter 4, we've been walking through the book of Galatians um, this new year, uh, verse by verse, looking at the gospel, and what does it mean, how does it apply to us, and how can we uh, step into it in greater ways in our own walk with Christ, and so we want to do that again today in chapter 4. If you were here last week, we did um, most of chapter 4, the first part, and we did the last part, and we skipped the middle part, um, because it's kind of all tied together as one big idea, but right in the middle, Paul takes this little kind of like time out to just have a really personal conversation with the church in Galatia. And so we're going to take those verses today and look at that conversation that he's having with them and how he's exhorting them to be a gospel-centered people, a gospel-centered church uh, through these verses. So we're going to be in verses 12 through 20 today, chapter 4, verses 12 through 20, um, as we dig in this morning. So um, have you ever heard this saying before? Um, You've been reading my mail. Have you heard somebody say that before? It, it means like whatever they're saying to you right then, it's like, like you didn't know you were talking directly to me in this moment, but you were talking to me, right? You were talking to my situation. You were, you were speaking into what's going on in my life, whether you knew it or not. Well, this morning, I feel like that's what Paul's doing with the church. <laughs> like the Paul's been reading their mail and he like, he's going to speak very directly and very lovingly to them about what's going on in their life, in their church, but he's not just speaking to their church. He's speaking to all churches, right? That's the way God's word works. It's for that person in that moment, but it's also for all the people of God throughout eternity. Um, And so Paul here is speaking directly to us in this about what it looks like to be a gospel-centered people, to be a gospel-centered church as we follow after Christ. And so oftentimes here at Harvest, we admonish you like, hey, read your Bible, Right? Like if you, you've probably heard that a thousand times, like be in the Word, study this week, read the Bible. Like you need to read the Bible to grow in Christ. But today I want to flip it just a little bit, and I want to admonish you today, let the Bible read you. Let the words of God this morning read your heart on these issues, and use this as a time of reflection to kind of do an assessment of where am I at right now in my walk with Christ? How am I doing when it comes to walking in the gospel with the ways that Paul is going to, to point out here? And so this is the big question this morning. Are the marks of the gospel growing in me? Are the marks of the gospel growing in me as a follower of Jesus? So we'll start in verse 12, and he says this. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. I want to just stop with just that first verse is our first thing this morning. Point number one, marks of a gospel-centered ministry. Marks of a gospel-centered ministry. Now, he starts off with this word brothers, which marks a, a distinct shift in the tone of the letter, right? Up to this point, he's been pretty like hardcore, just boldly, directly addressing the problems, the issues, the false teaching. He's been coming at them pretty hard in this letter so far, but here he now shifts to this more personal tone. This section is more relational, it's more loving, it's more caring in the posture of the way he's talking to them. Paul here is showing us not just Paul the evangelist or the preacher, but Paul the pastor. Paul the shepherd to these people that he loves and that he, um, in this church that he planted. And so he's appealing to them now as beloved spiritual family. I have some words for you. And he says, I entreat you, could also be translated, I strongly urge you, right? I, I beg you even, right? He, he's coming at them pretty, 
pretty, with, a, with a pretty strong heart here. And he says, I, I have to say this to you. I have to speak up. I have no choice anymore. I have to speak up because your lives are in the balance. Eternity is in the balance here. You have to hear this. There's, there's an urgency in him to tell them the gospel again. Right? Like, like this is prime on his mind to call them back to faith in Christ before it's too late. He must speak up. Silence is not an option here. And so he says, listen, I entreat you, please listen to me, become as I am. In other words, become a follower of Jesus Christ, like Paul was, through faith alone. Not through the law, not through works, not through any of that, but come through faith. In other words, he's saying, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus, right? Paul's not just going to tell them the gospel, he's going to say, yeah, you need to hear it, but you also need to see it. Like, look at my life. This is how you live out the gospel life. He's, he's trying to model for them what it means to live in the freedom of Christ and in the kingdom of God and to serve him through faith. He says, I entreat you, become as I am, become a follower through faith and live it like this. And then he says this, for I also have become as you are. So now Paul's pointing back to his time with them when he was there in person in Galatia. He's like, you remember when I came to you the first time and I was preaching the gospel and, and some of you got saved and we planted the church? He's like, remember how I did that? See, when he went to Galatia, he was trying to reach primarily Gentiles, right? Not Jews, Gentiles. And so he had to become like them in order to kind of fit into their culture. You see, if he would have stuck to all of his Jewish laws and restrictions and all the things, then that would have kept him from talking with them, couldn't even talk with them because that could make you unclean. It would keep him from, from um, visiting them in their homes, eating meals with them, just rubbing elbows. Like he couldn't even really be around them enough to reach them with the gospel if he would have stuck to all of the laws and the restrictions. He says, I didn't do that. He says, I became as you are. I became like a Gentile in order to reach you. We call this today incarnational ministry. Fancy term, Right? It just means immersing ourselves into the culture of the people that we're trying to reach. Not keeping a distance, not trying to do it from afar, but like getting in there with them and walking alongside them in that way. And the gospel, it's, it's taking the gospel life. It's not abandoning the gospel. It's not changing who we are in Christ, but it's taking the gospel life that we have and living it out and walking it in their world so they can see it, so they can hear it, so they can believe it. In fact, this is what Jesus did for us. Right? We just talked about the incarnation back around Christmas time. Remember that? Like, it was God coming and ch changing cultures, leaving heaven and coming into humanity and into the earth so that Jesus could walk the gospel out in front of us and we could see what it looks like. And Paul did that for them. And we as Christians should be doing that for others in our life and stepping into their world and showing them this is how you follow Christ even in the midst of the culture. This is how we reach people like Paul did. As a church, as a people of God, we should be looking for opportunities like this all the time. Like this is the mission. This is what we're called to, is to be sent out into the world to look for opportunities to show other people how to follow Jesus. And I have conversations with people in our church on a regular basis. You all will come up to me and you'll, you'll ask me questions about things like this. 
I remember one time I had a member come and they said, hey, um, I'm getting ready to have lunch with my family, and one of my family members is homosexual, and like, I love her, and I want to be in her life, and I want to be present, but I also want to like, let her know the truth. Like, how do I do that? How do I stay in the culture? How do I stay in her life and yet still show her who Jesus is? Yeah, great question. That's what Paul's talking about here, right? I had another one just, just a couple weeks ago said, hey, I've got this friend at work and they recently lost their loved one and they're talking to me about death and afterlife and they believe in all these like new age spirituality things. And she's like, I, I want to stay in the conversation, but how do I steer her back to God's word? How do I steer her back to Christ and still keep this relationship going? Yeah, that's what we're looking for. Many of you have unbelieving spouses or unbelieving children in your life. Like, how do I stay in? How do I stay present with them? How do I walk with them in this and yet still keep entreating them to follow Jesus? I had one, one of you recently come and say, hey, I've got this friend at work, and, and man, they know the Bible better than I do. They know the Bible better than most people that I know, but they say that it's, that it's outdated, that it doesn't apply anymore today, right? That it's the thing of the past. And like, how do, I, how do I respond? How do I talk to them? How do I respond to that? That's what Paul's talking about right here. He's like, listen, you become as they are. You step into their world and you show them the love of Jesus Christ and you show them what it means to be a follower of Christ so they can see the change and the hope and the joy that you have. You become like them so that they can become like you and follow Jesus Christ. It's not just words on a page. Yes, we have to tell them the gospel. We have to speak it. But we also have to live it in a way that people actually can see and hear and respond to the gospel. This is Paul's formula for a gospel-centered ministry to others. And so ask yourself this question. If you're a follower of Jesus, I know some of you in the room might not be, and that's okay, man. We're so glad that you're here, okay? But if you're a follower of Christ, ask yourself this. Am I lovingly speaking the gospel with urgency? Remember, Paul was urgent about this. This wasn't like, hey, I'll get around to it eventually, maybe in a couple months or a couple years. No, like, am I lovingly speaking the gospel with urgency and modeling Christ in the culture to reach the lost? Am I living it out? Am I walking out? Can they see it in my day-to-day life? That's the combination, speaking it lovingly and urgently and living it out so people can follow you as you follow Christ. That's gospel-centered ministry. So that's the first thing, Paul. He's like, remember how I did this with you. And then he goes to the next section. Go to verse 13. He says, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Point number two today is this, marks of a gospel-centered people. So as Christians, if we're going to follow after Christ, there are some things Paul points like, hey, this is what it looks like to be a follower of Christ. And these are things that we need to be modeling for others in the culture that will help them see, man, this is what it means to follow Jesus. 
And he gives five marks here, and I want you to kind of assess your own heart as we walk through these. Number one, trust God's sovereignty in hardships. Trust God's sovereignty, his plan, his will in hardships. He starts off, he says, it was because of a bodily ailment that I came to you. So when Paul was in Galatia, ministering to these people, he was suffering from some unknown bodily ailment. The Bible doesn't tell us what it is. We don't have any other historical records that tell us what it is. We don't know exactly what was going on, but there was something going on where he was sick. He was, he was ill from something. Some people um, hypothesize that it could be malaria based on his previous travels that led up to that, and that's how he ended up in Galatia, was kind of recovering from that. Some have said it was something to do with his vision because he talks about later about eyes and writing in big letters, and we don't really know for sure, and it really doesn't matter. But it points to some type of physical illness, and it forced Paul to change course. That's his point. It's like, I didn't plan to come here. <laughs> Galatia was not on the, the, the travel itinerary, right? This wasn't where I was going. But because of this ailment, God forced me to come here. It wasn't my plan, but it was God's plan. And he says, it was because of that that I preached the gospel to you at first. So although Paul was suffering from this illness, he still saw it as a God-ordained opportunity to preach the gospel to the people there in Galatia, even through his suffering, even through his hardship. And God used it for good to preach the gospel to them, to save them, and then to plant some churches in Galatia as a result of Paul's illness. And this is where it gets dicey sometimes for us as Christians. And this isn't always a real popular view today in churches, but you need to understand this. God did not just allow this hardship. He ordained it. He planned for Paul to have this illness, to move him to Galatia, to plant these churches and to reach these people with the gospel, to expand his ministry through these churches. It's possible, we, again, we, we don't know 100%, but it's likely or possible that this hardship is the same thing that Paul references when he talks about his thorn in the flesh over in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Listen to what he says, how he describes this. He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I plead with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, but he said, God said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What Paul says here, he says, listen, this thorn I have, this wasn't some like unfortunate problem that God just failed to catch. (laughs) It wasn't like God was like sleeping on the job and this one kind of just like slid through on him and he didn't see it coming. He's like, no, no, God knew about it. And not only did he know about it, he planned it and it was a gift from God. Did you catch that? That it was a gift from God to teach him to rely on God's grace and to rely on God's power more than his own. God used it to grow Paul as a follower of Jesus. And oftentimes, as humans, we struggle to see pain and hardship like this. It's hard for us to get this perspective because when we're walking through it, it hurts. And it's a struggle, and we don't want it, and we don't like it. And so it's hard for us to understand that God 
is using it in a way that's greater than the pain that we're suffering because it hurts us so much. But over and over in Scripture, we see this on repeat. And what we learn from Paul right here is that if we trust him in it, in the midst of the hardship, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the struggle, if we trust God in the midst of it, that he will use it for greater plans than we could ever imagine and that we could ever experience in the hardship itself. The greatest proof of this is actually the gospel itself. Think about this. God planned, he ordained on purpose, sent his own son to come to earth with the sole purpose of dying on the cross for our sins. Not only the the physical pain of that, but the emotional and spiritual pain that Christ went through being separated from the Father because of our sin. There is no greater hardship that has been experienced by mankind, and God ordained it because there was a greater purpose that would save the rest of his children from their sin. If God did it with his own son, why wouldn't he do it with us, his sons and daughters? So Paul says, number one, the mark of a gospel-centered person is that we trust God in the midst of our hardship. Number two, look beyond the surface to the heart. Look beyond the surface to the heart. He says, though my condition, my illness, was a trial to you. So we don't know, again, we don't know exactly what it was. So, but somehow his physical illness, his condition was burdensome to others, right? It could have made, it could have like disfigured his face or his body in some way. So maybe he was kind of hard to look at and like, you know, be around. It could have made him hard to listen to. Maybe it affected his voice or his speech or, you know, some type of odor situation. Like, we don't, like, but some way it was burdensome to other people, right? Maybe he just needed a lot of help and care. Whatever it was, he says, no matter, you did not scorn or despise me. Even though it was, you didn't turn away. You didn't reject They didn't reject him because of what was on the surface. They were willing to look beyond the superficial to see his heart for them and the way he was serving them and loving them and preaching the truth to them. And because of that, they were able to receive the gospel because of Paul's heart for Christ, regardless of what was on the outside. You know, I... None of us really like to admit this, but if we're really honest, as humans, we judge a lot based on the outside, right? We do. We, 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 the way people talk, the way people dress, the way people look, the way they act, like, it just, it's just kind of in us to think that way. And, you know, do they, do they uh, does this person have a disability? Or are they, like, really put together and all polished and, like, on point, right? Do they... Do they communicate well? Are they well-spoken? Or do you have a hard time listening to them? And communi- Is it not clear what they're saying? Do we have a common interest? Like, can we talk about some things? Or does it feel like they're from another planet? Right? Like, like there's all these things that like, affect how we interact and deal with people. And unfortunately, that happens even in the church. Because I don't know what church you thought you were coming to this morning, but this church right here, full of messed up sinner, sinful people. Just going to tell you right now, okay? <laughs> Nobody here is perfect. And so we still tend to do this, even in the church. We base it on other standards rather than on people's heart for Christ. Sometimes we even do it when we're picking churches. 
Right? We assess the pastor not on the word or the message that's delivered, but on how charismatic he is, or how good of a communicator, or is he entertaining, does he make me laugh? Whatever it is that you're looking for, you look for a pastor or a leader that has that superficial thing rather than the heart behind the ministry and for Christ. Or for the church itself, does it have the right programs that I want to go to? Does it have things at the right times and the right availability for me to fit my schedule? Is it, does it make me feel good when I go? Those are all superficial things. And what Paul is saying, no, a gospel-centered people, they don't look at that. That's not what we look for. 1 Samuel 1, 16, 7 says, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but Lord, the Lord looks on the heart. And so as a gospel-centered people, we want to look through God's eyes, not man's eyes. We want to look past the surface to the heart. And what's God doing at a deeper level? Second mark. Third mark. Number three. Receive God's message and messenger with joy. Receive God's message and messenger with joy. He says, but you, the Galatians, he says, you received me as an angel of God. Now, kind of a strange phrase, but it just, he's really just saying this. Like, if you look all throughout the Bible, what's the job of the angels? They are messengers, right? That's their, they always, they're just bringing God's word. They're just coming and communicating to people, hey, this is what God said. This is what God wants you to know. And that's what Paul was doing. He was communicating God's message to the people of Galatia. He's like, so you, t- you, you treated me like a messenger, like, like an angel. He says, even like Christ Jesus himself, which again, Sounds a little strange, like he wasn't saying that he was Christ, and he wasn't saying that they worshipped him as Christ. He never allowed that. We see that in Acts 14. Like He always like, told people, no, 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 I'm not Jesus. You don't worship me. You worship him. But during this time, the custom was that leaders, like kings and, and like really important leaders, like they would never go and give the message themselves. They would send a representative with their message to whoever it was that needed to hear it, and the people all, the, the culture just kind of knew like that's the way it was. And so when the messenger came, you always treated the representative as if he was the leader himself because he was speaking on their behalf. He said, I, you treated me just like Christ because you understood I was his representative and I was speaking the truth of Jesus to you. And so you received me as such. He says, what then has become of your blessedness. When they first received Paul, when they first received the gospel, they did so with a joyful, thankful spirit. They saw him and the message as a blessing in their life. But something's changed. They used to look at the message and the messenger as gifts from God, but now, now Paul says, something's shifted. They don't trust him anymore. They don't look at him like that anymore. And unfortunately, we often see a similar distrust in the church today for various reasons. Oftentimes, people have become skeptical of the pastor or of the message that is taught in the church because they've been burned in the past or because they've heard things or they've seen things. And so they don't feel like they can trust anymore. Others become critical of the church or the pastor because 
they think that his abilities or his methods are off and they know how to do it better. And so they're going to criticize and they're going to push against. Others just become distant. Right? They, they don't really view anything relational at the church. It's just The pastor is just like another talking head like they see on the screen every day. And they can just kind of choose whether they want to accept or reject whatever message he's preaching that week based on their own ideas and convictions. No spiritual accountability, no spiritual obligation to the church, just, just a distant listening. Others, the message, the pastor, the church has become just consumeristic. In the world today of podcasts, you, you literally have 24-7 access to world-class preachers which is a huge blessing in some ways. If you really want to learn God's word, man, you have unlimited resources to do it. The downside of that is we've started picking preachers and picking preaching like we pick pizza flavors. Whatever I like best, whatever best appeals to me, that's what I'm going to grab. Everything else, I'm good. And it's just feeding me whatever I want. Maybe the the one that's most like the Galatians here is people have become dismissive of the message or the messenger. They simply reject any pastor or any preaching that doesn't line up with their opinions and their ideas. Paul says all of these things, these are not the spirit of a gospel-centered people. This is not the way we approach God's word. This is not the way we approach God's messengers. We do not stand in judgment over God's message or messengers. We receive it with joy and gratitude for the gifts that God gives us through his word. So that's the third mark. The fourth mark says, uh, express gratitude through sacrificial generosity. Gospel-centered people express gratitude through sacrificial generosity. Paul goes on, he says, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. <laughs> Which I know sounds a little morbid, um, but, but his point here is, he's, he's probably using some hyperbole, but his point is that, hey, you were so thankful, you were so grateful for the message that I brought to you that you would have given up your own sight if it would have helped me in my ministry. That you would have literally given me your eyes, if you could, so that I could continue to do the work of the Lord because you were that blessed by what you had received through me. They recognized that Paul loved them, that he served them, that he taught them, that he sacrificed for them in ministry, and therefore they were willing to sacrifice in return for Paul and to bless him with their eyes. (laughs) Like, that's truly sacrificial. So, I think that triggers in us then a question of, like, what am I willing to sacrificially give in gratitude for the gospel? What am I willing to, to give in order to serve the Lord and to serve His mission? What am I willing to sacrifice? And I think, obviously, it comes down to, like, kind of three major categories a lot of times for us today. The first one is time. Right? Do I, am I willing to sacrifice my time to serve the Lord and to serve his mission in the gospel? We have unlimited opportunities for our time today, right? 
entertainment and activities and work and family. And I mean, like, there is, it, it is extremely easy to fill up our schedule from dawn to dusk with all kinds of stuff. Are we willing to sacrifice? Are we willing to give some of that time to serve the Lord and the gospel because of all that he's done for us? Second one would be my gifts, my abilities, my talents, the things that God has equipped me to do. All of us have them. Every single one of you has gifts and talents in here that you use on a weekly basis to do your job, to serve your family, to to do well in school, whatever the thing is. But how much are we willing to use those same gifts and abilities, not just for ourselves and to make money and to support our family and not just for our stuff, but for God's stuff? How much am I willing to give of what I have in my gifts and my abilities to serve the Lord and to serve his mission? That's a sacrifice. And then obviously money would be the third category. Support him financially, right? Like God gives us the ability to work, to make money, to have an income. How much am I willing to sacrifice of what God's given to me financially to resource the ministry that he is doing that I have benefited from? That every week I come and I get fed and I get, grow, and I get to grow as a disciple. How much am I willing to sacrifice and to sow back? That's what these people are doing. They're like, Paul, you've served us. We'll give you whatever you need. You need our eyes? Here you go. <laughs> like they're willing to give whatever. What about us? How much am I willing to give for the gospel is a direct measure of how much I value the gospel. How much I'm willing to give for the gospel is a direct measurement of how much I value the gospel in my life. So express gratitude through sacrificial generosity is number four. And then the last one, number five, the last mark is desired truth even when it's tough to hear. Desired truth even when it's tough to hear. He says then, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? He's like, before, when I was there before, I was your beloved shepherd and pastor, and you were so thankful, and you loved what I was saying, and all. but now you think I'm a wolf? Now you think I'm an enemy coming in to destroy you and hurt you in some way? Why? Because you don't want to hear what I have to say anymore? You don't want to hear the truth about your mistakes and your struggles and your missteps? And so now... I'm an enemy, right? You see, they loved Paul, and they loved the truth that he taught when it lined up with their desires. But as soon as it started to challenge them, they were like, eh, no, we're good. And they saw Paul as their enemy. Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says in verse 3, For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. We hear this so often today in the church. Like, I don't like what the Bible says about X. Fill in the blank. Whatever you want to put in there. Right? I don't like what it says about this because I don't feel like it's right. I don't feel like it's true. I don't feel like that's, that that's the, the right way to go about it. I, it doesn't affirm what I think. It doesn't affirm what I desire. 
I have this friend, I have this family member, and the Bible calls them out for their sin, and it calls them out for their stuff, and I don't like that. So you know what? I'm just going to go to a different church. I don't like what this pastor has to say. I don't like these sermons. I don't like the, I'm just going to go to a different church where they will agree with what I think. Okay? It's an option. The bigger question is this. Does that other church agree with what God thinks? Because at the end of the day, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. Does it agree with what God thinks? What he says is true in his word. That's the mark of a gospel-centered person. That they desire the truth even when it's hard to hear. And so of these five marks, if, again, if you're a follower of Christ, I want you to look back on these this week and like, am I missing or neglecting any of these marks in my walk with Christ? Am I missing or neglecting any of these marks in my walk with Christ? And if so, that's an opportunity for, our, for us to press into the Lord and let our hearts be corrected and and grow in the spirit in this way. So five marks of a gospel-centered people, but Paul doesn't just leave it there. He then goes after the pastor. So now you get to hear five marks for me, okay? So I'm going to give you five marks for a gospel-centered pastor next. Let's look at verse 17 through 20. He says, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. This is the false teacher's. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Five marks of a gospel-centered pastor. Number one, preach the truth. Preach the truth. He says they, the false teachers, they make much of you for no good purpose. What that means is he's saying, hey, they flatter you, they butter you up, they tell you what you want to hear, their preaching is catered to you. But why? He says it's not for a good purpose. It's not for a good reason. It's not for your spiritual health or development. It's not to lead you to Christ. 1 Thessalonians 2.4, Paul says this, he says, but just as we, pastors, Ministers, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You see, God calls the pastor to preach the word to please him, not anyone else. And when we get to the end of time, and I'm standing before the Lord on Judgment Day, and he tests my heart, he tests the motives for why I was preaching, I want to pass that test way more than I want to please any one of you. And the only way I can do that as a pastor is to preach the truth of God's word. So mark number one is preach the truth. Number two Point to Christ, not self. Point to Christ, not self. It says, he goes on, he says, they, the false teachers, they want to shut you out that you may make much of them. This is really the the meat of the whole thing. This is the heart of his issue 
with these false teachers. He says, hey, they want to shut you out from the gospel. They want to shut you out from Jesus Christ. They don't want you to, to go to him because if you're focused on making much of Jesus, you won't be making much of them. See, that was their real desire. That was their real purpose in all of this was to build themselves up. Many times pastors can get off track where they want to build a name for themselves. They want to build a following and they want to build a platform. They want to build a church that's, that's theirs. And they get into this false mentality that the church, it's my church, it's my ministry, and they forget that, no, 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 this is Christ's church. You're just a servant. You're just a servant of the king. And so a gospel-centered pastor does not point to themselves, they point to Christ. The best example I could think of for this actually was John the Baptist. He doesn't get enough playtime, I don't think, a lot of times in the New Testament teachings, but Think about this, John the Baptist, he was the first prophet after like 400 years of silence, right? So like, he was coming in hot, right? Like, people were ready, they were hungry to hear something. He is preaching, thousands of people are following him, they're getting baptized. I mean, just like, has this huge, huge platform. Even Jesus himself said of John that no other man has been born of woman that is greater than John the Baptist. That was the press on John. And yet, John's statement about his own ministry in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. He said, no, 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 I'm just here to point to him. I'm just, it's just more of Jesus and less of me. That's the heart of a gospel-centered pastor. Point to Christ, not to self. Number three, third mark is to build up the body. To build up the body. He says, it's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, right? So if it's for a good purpose, if it's for God's purpose, then teaching and encouraging and equipping the church and building up the saints for the work of the ministry, that's a good thing if it's for God's purpose, for a good purpose, Paul says. And he says, not only when I'm present with you, right? He's like, that, this is what Paul did when he was in Galatia. He taught them the gospel. He equipped the people for gospel ministry. And then he pointed them to Christ. And then he left. <laughs> and he went on to plant the next church. Right? He didn't stay there to build Paul's little church and Paul's kingdom and to make it all about him. He did the work. He equipped them for ministry. And then he moved on. Because it wasn't about him. It was about building up the body of Christ. Jesus is churched. Friends, this is my highest goal and my highest hope is that in the gospel one day, you don't need me. That you don't need me to preach a sermon to you because you, by your own study of the word and the power of the spirit living in you, are equipped for gospel ministry and you can go forth in the work of Christ. That's the goal for every disciple is that we all would grow to the place where we can walk with Christ and make disciples of others simply by the word and the spirit. Building up the body to do the work of the ministry. The fourth mark of a gospel-centered pastor is to sacrifice for the sheep. Sacrifice for the sheep. He says, my little children, he calls them his children now, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth. So here he goes again, Paul with all the metaphors, right? Like it's always metaphors with Paul. 
And this time he's pointing to a mom giving birth to her child. And he says, just as a mom is love, loves and is so committed to her children that she is willing to endure the pain of childbirth in order to give them life. Likewise, Paul says, I am willing to sacrifice and to endure again the anguish and the pain of spiritual birth if it means that you get to have spiritual life. And he toils and he he prays and he suffers over serving and sacrificing for the people. He says, I'm willing to do this until Christ is formed in you. That's so important. Notice his goal here. He's like, the only reason, the only reason I'm willing to do this is because I want to see Christ formed in you. That's the only reason it's worth it, right? Because you need redemption, because you need new life, because you need to be part of the family of God. And the only way that's going to happen is if you have Christ in you. He says, so I'm willing. I'm willing to sacrifice time and energy and money and relationships and comfort, convenience, recreation, sleep, whatever it takes. I'm willing to do it if it means that you get life in Christ. That's the call of a gospel-centered pastor. Because the only other alternative is death. And that's not an option. Not on account of me. Not because I wasn't willing to sacrifice that you might see Christ formed in you. The gospel-centered pastor sacrifices with the goal of Christ being formed in every single member of their church. Fifth and final mark is to love God's family. He says, I, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. In other words, I wish this wasn't over letter, right? Like, I wish this wasn't just written words on a page with no tone, no body language, no personal connection. I wish I could be there with you, my beloved spiritual children, and speak to you in a loving and caring and gracious Way. He wanted them to feel his compassion and his mercy even in the midst of telling them this hard truth. He, he talks about this in Ephesians 4.15, right? We've all heard this verse. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Now, a lot of times that verse gets misused and abused. This does not mean just using love as a smokescreen to pound people over the head with truth. That happens way too much. It's not what we're talking about here. Paul is saying, speak the truth, yes, but wrapped in a relationship of love and grace and compassion. By being in their world, by walking alongside them, by having a relationship, then you can speak truth in the way that they need to hear it. This is how the pastor and the people can grow up in Christ together, Paul says. is having this relationship of truth and love married together, walking in Christ. The Bible says that Jesus was full of grace and full of truth. That's the picture. 
pastor loves his people enough to walk with them in grace and also speak truth to them when they need to hear it. Five marks of a gospel-centered pastor. Now, obviously, I'm not going to ask you to apply those to your life. Most of you don't fit that role. But you have a pastor. And so I would ask you this. Will you pray for these marks in your pastor? Because none of us are doing these things perfectly, myself included. All of us have room to grow in the marks of the gospel. And I need this just as much as you do. And so we all go back to that same question, are the marks of the gospel growing in me? Not in your spouse, not in your small group leader, not in your kids. Are they growing in you? This is a self-reflection moment. By the power of the Spirit, that's the question for all of us today. We never want to stray from or grow cold to the gospel like the Galatians did. That's the worst possible thing we could do. We want to be growing, right? Amen? We want to be growing in the marks of the gospel through the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. That's our goal as a church. And so let's take this time, let's take this moment to check our hearts, to ask these questions, to ask the Spirit to show us, and then to pray for transformation in these ways. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for the gift of the gospel. Thank you for how it impacts us, how it changes every aspect of our hearts, every aspect of our lives. And Lord, we want to be a gospel-centered people. We want to be a gospel-centered I want to be a gospel-centered pastor. We want, us to, we want to be a gospel-centered ministry and church, Lord. Convict us. Lord, today, convict us where we are not, where we're lacking. And then, Lord, grow us more into the image of Christ through the power of the gospel. Lord, we want to look more like you. Do that work in us and through us. We pray all this by the name of Christ.